It's Matthew 19, 13 through 15. Matthew 19, 13 through 15. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap offering? <laughs> Bless the Lord and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Amen. Thank you, Rob, for reading the scripture. Of course, we don't have a whole lot of verses to cover. But I will re read it again for reiteration. Matthew chapter 19, verses... 13 through 15. Then children were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid hands on them and went away. I want to preach on the topic Seeing Jesus' heart for kids. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord God, for I have studied and prepared, but I need your Holy Spirit to speak to your people in such a way that we leave out of here different than the way that we came in. We pray that you be glorified even now and that those who are not saved will be evangelized. In Jesus' name, the people of God say amen. 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 It was... Elizabeth Stone, who said that making the decision to have a child is momentous. It is to decide forever to have your heart walking around outside of your body. Now that's quite dramatic, but very soon, my wife and I will be experiencing something very close to this. How many of you here are actually parents by a show of hands? Majority of the church. Can I ask you a question? To what length would you go to save your child in a crisis situation? Would you put your life on the line to save them? The news reported back in 1999, Joy Varon, now 46, saved her children by throwing herself beneath the wheels of an SUV inside. She suffered horrific injuries and after years of rehab, she was forced to accept that she would never walk again. Charlie Winter, a devoted dad who would do anything for his kids, threw himself, would throw himself in front of a train or even a shark. That's exactly what the North Carolina dead did Sunday when his 70-year-old daughter, Paige, was attacked by a shark in the Atlantic Beach in Fort McCann State Park. 
the heroic dad punched the shark five times until it released his daughter. She had lost her leg, but she, her life was spared. And then, April 23rd, Chelsea Camp, a woman from Alvin, Alvin Texas, was dog-sitting a friend's pit bull. When the animal sniffed her small daughter, then suddenly attacked, biting the kid's face, latching its jaws onto her small head. Camp shoved her fist down the, the dog's mouth to stop it from mowing Mackenzie alive, yelling at her daughter to turn her head so she wouldn't choke on her own blood. Camp kept fighting, even biting off the air of the dog until before the tussle had ended. She didn't know what else to do. She just kept fighting. Joy Veron, Char Charlie Winter, and Chelsea Kemp had all one powerful thing in common. They cared so much for their children that they were willing to put their lives on the line, and that's exactly what they did. Many parents have this hard wiring called parental instinct. You care too much to allow anything bad to happen to your children. I know we would do any, almost anything to save our children physically, but let me ask you a question. How desperate are you to ensure that our children are saved spiritually? How far would you go to bring your child to Jesus? Here we are in Matthew chapter 19, continuing our series through the book, naturally coming off the topic of marriage, Matthew zeroes in on children, which by God's design should be birthed out of the context of a healthy marriage. Amen? We know statistically millions of children are growing up in single-parent homes, which is not God's intention when he created family. These three verses capture for us what has been called the Magna Carta of children, opening our eyes and mind to see in Jesus' heart for kids. There are three things we see in this text, and I'm going to take my seat. Number one, we see the parent's heart for their kids, verse 13a. Number two, we see the disciples' heart for Jesus and their issue with kids, verse 13b. And number three, we see Jesus' heart for these kids, verses 14 through 15. We see the parents' heart for their kids. The children were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. Notice here, they were bringing their children to Jesus for the express purpose of Jesus laying his hands on them to bless them. This was not unusual for Jewish parents to bring their little ones to a holy rabbi to receive a blessing. This was not a baby baptism, but a baby dedication. The tradition is said to date back to Genesis chapter 48, 
verses 14 through 16, when Jacob blessed his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, by laying his hands upon their heads. Even Jesus himself, as a child, was brought up to the temple by Joseph and Mary to be dedicated and prayed over by Simeon. Luke chapter 2, verse 22. So Jesus was pro-baby dedication. On a very basic level, we do baby dedications here. We pray and lay hands on the infants, the children, much like Jesus did in his earthly ministry. This is an awesome way for us as parents to say to God in effect and in front of others, this child, my child, belongs to you, Lord. Echoing Joseph's words, as for me and my house, Joshua's words, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And I'm looking forward to, we're looking forward to bringing our daughter here to be dedicated to the Lord, amen, very soon. But what does it mean for us to bring our children to Jesus beyond the baby dedication service? Thank you for asking that question. What does it mean for us to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord as we see in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4? You see, it was normative for God's people in the Old Testament to bring up their children with a deep fear and love for God. We're all familiar with that Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way it should go, and when it is old, it will, it will not do what? Depart from it. As God was leading his people Israel into the promised land, across the Jordan, God gave very clear Specific instructions to Moses to give to the parents. These Jewish children were to receive their first Godward orientation in the home. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look at how clear God's objective is for the parents. They're not only the call to know and love God intimately, but they are called to make him known to their children. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God the Lord is one. And what the Jewish parents would do every morning is that they would cite what they called the Shema, which is, in Hebrew, it means to listen or to obey. They would say something like this, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ahai. That means, hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The principle in this passage is very clear. We as parents must throw ourselves into a complete love for God, all of God for all of me. That it becomes so evident to our children in our conversations, in our conduct, in our character, in our conflicts, in our way of life, that God is not only real, but one day they will stand before him and meet him as their savior or judge. Can I give an amen? And as parents, we have countless opportunities to teach our children about God, don't we? 
We can teach them discipleship at mealtime. We can teach them Bible stories at bedtime. We can talk about theology during car time. We can talk about the power of God during sick time. We can worship God and talk about worshiping God during vacation time. Knowing God during one-on-one -on -one time. See, if these parents made time to bring their kids to Jesus, so can we. I once heard that the greatest work you'll ever do in life will be between the four walls of your own house, your own home. In the early 1700s, Susanna Wesley, a pastor's wife, single-handedly homeschooled 10 children. She devised a systematic method to educate all of her children academically and theologically. She not only taught them, they, they not only learned reading, writing, arithmetic, and the classics, but they also learned how to recite the Lord's Prayer, memorize scripture, honor the Sabbath, and mind their manners. And two of those children grew up to make a major impact in God's kingdom. Those were, those two individuals were John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist denomination and Charles Wesley, who wrote 6,000 worship hymns. These two brothers became leaders in the evangelical revival in the Church of England in the 18th century. Mom Susanna wasn't playing. She was serious about raising her kids to know Christ, amen? See, if we're going to bring our children to Jesus, we have to remember that the Bible is your curriculum. You are the illustration. Life is the classroom, and your child is the student. And what's at stake is not a college degree or a job with a certain income. What's at stake here is eternity in heaven or hell. Bringing your child up in the Lord was not just an Old Testament practice. Acts tells us that young Timothy grew up in a home where his father was an unbeliever, but his mother and his grandmother were on fire for the Lord and trained him in the Holy Scriptures. See, Grandma Lois and Mom Eunice gave Timothy a Godward orientation. I once heard someone say in slang terms, my mother was the biggest drug pusher I know. She drugged me to church, she drugged me to Sunday school class, she drugged me to Bible study, and I am forever grateful. How many of your, your mothers drugged you to church? All right, drag you, okay. <laughs> Some people say, that's not the proper English. <laughs> and yet, watch this. You can be the best parents in the world. Raise your children up in the fear and ammunition of the Lord. Read scripture with them. Bring them to church every Sunday. And even Sunday school class and promise kingdom. And you still end up raising Cain. Listen. I'm very positive that Adam and Eve, even in their fallen state, taught a deep love for God in their home. See, Adam, watch this, and Eve gave birth to Abel and Cain. See, Cain grew up with a heart for God, but their other son, their older son, Cain, was religious, but he didn't have a relationship with God. In fact, Cain ended up killing his brother out of jealousy. And then there are exceptional cases 
where kids grow up in homes where neither parent is walking with God. Like Asa, who was unlike his father, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And as a result, Asa broke the generational pattern of disobedience. He gave birth to a son named Jehoshaphat, who also walked in the ways of his father Asa and did not stray from them. What an incredible legacy. But here's the thing. Don't beat, your don't beat yourself up if your children don't respond to the gospel. It takes time. When our children reach the age of opportunity, they still have to make that decision to surrender to Christ. Samson's parents did their best to raise their son the right way, didn't they? Samson's parents went out their way to dedicate baby Samson to the Lord and for the Lord's work as a child. But as he grew up into manhood, he couldn't stay away from loose women like Delilah, and it cost him his life. But even in that, the Lord was still with him even in his death. Listen, we cannot save our children. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We can pray earnestly for them like Job, and we can provide a gospel-rich environment for them to respond to the Holy Spirit because no one can come to Christ except by the Spirit of God. See, godly parents can tip the scales in the right direction as we set godly examples. Yet we cannot guarantee that our children will automatically surrender to Christ. They still have to make a decision, don't they? There are two cautions I want to address here. One is to be mindful of the danger of false conversion. Rushing your child into saying a sinner's prayer without helping them to understand the gravity and the weight of their own sin condition and their desperate need for the Savior. That can lead to a false conversion. Two weeks ago at a men's retreat, I recall Tim said that children are are, these little, little children are very, very sweet, but they're also depraved. They really are. You never have to teach a child how to do wrong, do you? Yes, they are image bearers, too. They are complete human beings with eternal souls, possessing infinite worth and value. But children, just like the rest of us, come with a built-in do-wrong system and must be taught how to do right. But more importantly, they are sinners in desperate need of the Savior like all of us. David said in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We were born in sin, alienated from the very life of God. And that's why we have to teach our children the Ten Commandments as a precursor to the good news of Jesus Christ. And we need the bad news before we can appreciate the good news. Amen? And as we will see next Sunday, in the next few verses, the rich young ruler was raised up in a God-fearing home. He was taught the Ten Commandments, but he was still lost in his sin and needed to come to Christ. Parents, get your children to wrap their minds around the beauty and the majesty and the holiness of Christ and the glory of the cross and why Jesus died on it and rose from the grave on the third day. Pray that their minds be wrapped around the gospel. The second caution is the opposite but equally important. When you and I underestimate, underestimate the potential 
of our children to respond to the gospel at a very young age. Making statements like, you're too young to be saved right now. You're only eight years old, you're only nine years old, you're only 10 years old. Just wait till you turn 10 or 11 or 12. And I know you don't want to falsely convert them, but God is all powerful and is able to save your child even at a very young age, amen? History tells us that Matthew Henry was converted at age 11, not in his teens. Richard Baxter, that dynamic pastor, was converted at age six, not at 16. Current Barner, Barner study indicates that nearly half of all Americans who accept Jesus Christ as savior do so before reaching the age of 13. That's 43%. And that two out of three born again Christians, that's 64%, made that the commitment to Christ before their 18th birthday, 64%. One out of eight born-again people, that's 13%, made their profession of faith while 18 to 21 years old. Less than one out of every four born-again Christians, that's 23%, embraced Christ after their 21st birthday. Barna noted that these figures are consistent with similar studies it has conducted during the past 20 years. This means that there are way more young people coming to Christ at a very early age compared to adults. And we have to be prepared to lead them to Christ. Amen? In fact, how many of you came to Christ at such a young age? Raise your hand. Look at that. Almost half of the church. How many under age 11? How many under age 10? How many under age 8? Wow. How many under age 6? Okay, we got one over there. <laughs> Amazing. We see that many of our parents and guardians had such a heart to see their child that their child would see Jesus. See, that's why your parents, that's why they dedicated you. That's why they prayed for you. That's why they encouraged you. That's why they corrected you. That's why they rebuked you. That's why they challenged you. That's why they taught you. That's why they talked your ear off. That's why they laid hands on you. That's why they raised you with a deep fear and a love for the Lord. How many of you can honestly say that my grandmama prayed for me? She had me on her mind. She took the time to pray for me. I'm so glad she prayed, Nikki. I'm so glad she prayed. I'm so glad she prayed for me. Maybe it was your mother or your father that prayed for you. Maybe it was your uncle or a guardian that prayed for you. Maybe it was your adopted parent that prayed for you. I'm so glad they took the time to pray for us. I got my mother right here. She was praying for me. She had me on her mind. She took the time to pray. She's sitting right there. She had, had me on her mind, and she prayed for me. You see, we, we see these disciples, we see these parents' heart for their children, but we also see the disciples' heart for Jesus and their issue with kids. We have reached a crisis point in the narrative. Mark and Luke use the imperfect tense. They were bringing their children to Jesus, indicating it was a continual process and likely an extended period of time. In other words, 
many parents kept coming to Jesus from everywhere and they were bringing their little ones to Jesus. And what takes us by complete surprise is the disciples' treatment of the parents bringing their children to Jesus. Notice what it says. It says Matthew tells us that the disciples rebuked the people. Wow! Can you imagine the scene? Jesus standing there in the midst of a crowd that was swelling earlier when he had healed many people in verse 2. The disciples, devoted followers of Christ, were standing there as bodyguards. Oh no, you guys can't come. Can't come to Jesus right now. This, you guys can't be bringing all those children in here. What's interesting is that maybe this just gives them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they just wanted to protect Jesus' time. Jesus was already inundated with the major healing service just earlier in verse 2. And he finished up a difficult teaching on marriage and divorce. Maybe the disciples were getting beside themselves, thinking Jesus had no time for children. In their minds, they were thinking, we're trying to build a kingdom, not a kindergarten, Jesus. But the disciples missed it, didn't they? They missed it. Evidently, they did not get Jesus' heart for kids. So Jesus gives them a second orientation, Children 101. And if it was up to these disciples to start promised kingdom, it would have never happened. Now let's face it, right? Children can be noisy in the church, right? They require a lot of special attention and special programs. But, and they can't contribute to the financial burden of the church. But make no mistake about it, children are not a burden to be endured. They are a blessing to be enjoyed. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Thank God for the little one on the way, Jabez. Listen, children matter to God, and they should matter to us. That's why we support pro-life in the Amnion Pregnancy Center. We are blessed by all these little ones, aren't we? Children are not an interruption in Christ's work. They are a major part of it. Children are a big part of our mission as a church, right? When you think about our mission statement, what does it say? Worshiping God and welcoming all that includes children made in the image of God. And right now, there are over 75 children in Promised Kingdom. That is a significant number of children we are serving. And many of them are going to be aging out of PK to join us in worship. Don't get started. Praise God for Steve and Joanne. And many of you parents and volunteers who serve faithfully in the promised kingdom week after week. And guess what? There's a critical need for more workers in promised kingdom. At least 10 more workers. So let's pray. Amen? There are two kinds of people in this narrative as it relates to children's ministry. Those who are intentionally 
bringing, why says bringing their children to Jesus and those who are unconsciously blocking them from coming to Jesus. Let's become magnets for Christ, not roadblocks. Let's attract children to Jesus, not detract them from Jesus. Parents, there's a spiritual battle going on right now for the hearts and minds of our children. Ted Tripp, who wrote an incredible book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, states in this regard, parents are engaged in hand-to-hand -hand combat on the world's smallest battlefield, their children's hearts. This responsibility cannot be delegated to Promised Kingdom workers or R116. It cannot be handed over to pastors or deacons or public school teachers. Parents, you are the greatest influence in your child's life for good or for bad, whether you want to recognize that or not. Mom and dad or guardian has the sole responsibility to shepherd their child's heart towards God in Christ. Remember this principle. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. Plenty of battles are won or lost in our homes even before the child makes the church. The battles become fiercer when children enter the public school. A teacher tried to stop a young girl from believing in the credible stories of the Bible. A little girl was talking to her teacher about wells and how she had heard in Sunday school about how a well swallowed Jonah. The teacher said that's, that's impossible for a, a, a well to swallow a human. It's physically impossible because even though they are large mammals, they have a small throat. The little girl remained steadfast in her position and reiterated that indeed a well had swallowed Jonah. Irritated, the teacher stated again that a well could not swallow a human. It was physically impossible. The little girl said, I'm not sure how it happened, but when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. The teacher said with a smug on her face, well, what if he didn't go to heaven? And the girl replied, well, you asked him. <laughs> Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Let's be magnets for Christ, magnets for Christ, not roadblocks. We see the disciples' heart for Jesus, but we also see their issue with kids. And lastly, we see Jesus' heart for kids, verse 14. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid hands on them and went away. The English translations do not bring out how sharply Jesus rebuked the disciples, but Mark's version captured how Jesus felt about the disciples' mistreatment of the parents. What, Mark, what Matthew omits, Mark's version picks up and gives us a snapshot into Jesus' heart in a moment. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw him, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God 
Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus was indignant and emphatically rebuked the disciples for hindering these people for bringing their children to him. He was indignant. He was enraged because these disciples, these disciples didn't realize that Jesus loved the little children. And he carved out a special time for them in his ministry. It reminds me of that famous song that all of us used to sing in Sunday school class. Anybody remember that? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. This verse tells us how Jesus saved us as well. Jesus loves me. He who died, heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin. Little children come in. Let his little child come in. And then the chorus is a wonderful affirmation of faith. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells me so. I was going to sing it, but I, but I knew I didn't really have a voice. So how many of you in here know that Jesus loves you by a show of hands? Amen. Praise the Lord. Some of y'all didn't raise your hands. We're going to talk about that as I wrap this sun up. Jesus loved the little kids so much that Mark tells us in his account in verse 16 that he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. Wow. It's very sentimental, isn't it? Do you know that the best place for your children to be is in the master's hand? See, all of these verses reach a climax. Matthew records these words of Jesus. He says, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. What did Jesus mean by that statement? Going back to Jesus' original thought in Matthew chapter 18, children illustrate for us the only way to enter God's kingdom. Here's the irony of this narrative. The little ones were stopping the little ones from coming to Jesus. Jesus often referred to his disciples as the little ones. We see that throughout the narrative, but also in chapter 18. They were stopping the little ones from coming to Jesus, which meant what? Which meant that they actually forgot what Jesus taught them just the other day in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Do y'all remember that? Y'all remember that question? And Jesus calling a child put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become my children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. They forgot that conversation. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, belongs to those who, like children, are prepared to receive it as a gift. It cannot be achieved through human effort. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how accomplished you are. It doesn't matter if you're trying to work up a sweat. It doesn't matter how sophisticated you are. Like the rich young ruler who came up to Jesus thinking that he had it all. Trying to earn your way into God's kingdom won't work. 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. My question to you is this. Are you ready to enter the kingdom of God like a child? Helpless, completely helpless and weak and totally dependent on God with childlike faith. Not childish faith, but childlike faith. We're saved by grace through faith, and this is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God and not a matter of works that anyone should boast. Are you willing to turn away from your sins and repentance and turn yourself over to Christ to become born again? Acknowledging Christ's death on the cross for your sins and his resurrection from the dead so that you can be justified before God who is holy and just. Even as the Lord declared to Nicodemus, Nick at night, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When you look at a child, that needs to be protected and nurtured and cared for. They're, they're completely vulnerable to the, the elements. If you just set them there, just like that, they can't do anything. The Lord is saying, the only way you're going to get into my kingdom is that you, get, you bring nothing but faith, and even that is a gift. Are you ready now to receive this gift? The only way to enter in God's kingdom is for Jesus to take you up into his arms, even as a little baby, and to receive you into his kingdom. My question to you, are you ready right now to be picked up by him? Don't let pride hold you back. Don't let distractions hold you back. Don't let procrastination hold you back. Don't let fear hold you back. Let Christ hold you fast. Right now, today, when you hear the voice of God, the Bible says, do not harden your heart. Are you ready to become one of his little ones? And perhaps you're here right now you have never acknowledged Christ as your Savior. I'd rather have Jesus and not need him than to need him and not have him. I'd rather believe in Jesus as my Savior than have to believe and accept him as my judge later. If you're here and you have never acknowledged Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you after this service to come and see us so that we can pray for you. But if the Holy Spirit is working on your heart right now, if you're here, just slip your hand and say, you know what, the Holy Spirit is working on my heart. He wants to save me right now. If you're here, Is there one? Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that even as we partake in Holy Communion, Lord, that you will bless your word. Thank you for every parent and guardian present. May this word, Lord God, multiply and bring glory and honor and praise to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.